Just wanted to say before we get started, a quick thank you to Rode Microphones for setting us up with all the podcasting gear. They make some of the best audio equipment in the world. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast, check out Rode.com. <laughs> Good afternoon, ladies and gents, and welcome to episode two of the Boss Hunting Podcast, Friday Sharpeners. I'm Jack Slade. I'm here with John McMahon, James Want, and our first guest on the show, uh, Jimmy Trethewey. I think I got that right. AKA Jimmy's Paradise. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Sorry to drop that one in there so early on. Jimmy is a financial advisor, and um, we thought we'd get this kind of the, the guest part of the series going by having someone in that knows what they're talking about when it comes to money, um, particularly around, you know, financial advice for millennials, um, which we assume you all are. It's something particularly close to my heart because I'm looking at buying a house at the moment and understanding, you know, where I should put my money. Um, as and I have absolutely no idea about finance and I need to know the 101s, you know, like where to start. And uh, Jimmy, you and I, we met a couple of months ago and I didn't know you from your, your time on The Bachelor. Uh, which, what season were you on originally? Uh, I was on Sophie Monk's season. Right, okay. And yeah. then you're on, were you on a second one as well? I, I did do Paradise. Yeah, you tried to let that, that one yeah, slide yeah, under yeah. the radar, yeah. didn't you? <laughs> did I was going to like just try and hide that. <laughs> yeah, no, I was on Sophie's. Yeah, nice. And Paradise, yeah. Yeah, cool, cool. Because I obviously met you, didn't know you were on The Bachelor and kind of just one of the manly boys and we I had some chats. it came out months later, yeah. Did it? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. actually months later. And then we were having this chat about finance and then, yeah, funnily enough, I found out you were on The Bachelor and I was wondering why all the cute girls at the bar were looking at us all the time. It definitely wasn't <laughs> for me. <laughs> but we had some really candid chats about finance and investment 101 and we had a mutual friend that had put some money into, into an investment portfolio and it hadn't worked out for him and you instantly identified where he went wrong and where he could have done better. And it was explained in such a clear and precise sort of manner for someone who doesn't know a lot about finance. And I thought, well, got to get him on the podcast. 100%. Yeah, stop anyone else from making silly mistakes. All right, so Investing 101. Hold on, before we get started, I want to hear about The Bachelor a little bit. Yeah, I do as as well. All right, all right. What was was it like? Oh, it was was wild. It was like a roller coaster, you know. I, I guess for me, I'd never... You know, I didn't know what I was getting into. I just kind of it came up, and I thought, you know what, I'll I, give it a go. I don't want to. I don't want to be like an eighty-year-old man sitting back and and wondering what if. So let's just give it a go. And oh, it was a whirlwind. You know, running in there and and no idea what I was doing. Never been on TV or anything to do with it. And you're just surrounded by lights, cameras, producers, yeah, crew yeah. running around. It was like being on set. It was it was nuts, but. Did you know is the Sophie Monk that you were going to be on the show with, or did you have to sign up not knowing? You, you sign up not knowing, um, but they did let us know kind of a, a few weeks out earlier because uh, she'd sort of announced to the media, okay, so right. it was sort of public knowledge. Yeah. Then, what was she like? She's so funny. Yeah? She's such a actually legend. a good bird. Yeah. Oh yeah, she's so funny. Brilliant. Yeah. I think I wrote an article on TVG for that season about how badly the stylists from The Bachelor dressed the guys on it. And I wonder now, I looking was, at you- I was the one in the felt suit. <laughs> I'm looking at it now. I'm looking at you going, I wonder what you were wearing and I wonder what I said about it. But oh, you look good, good now. Funny. I mean, oh, you're thank in, you. in, Very the new, sharp. in the yeah. new Sydney boots from RM Williams. 100%. Yeah, no, it was good. And I mean, you know, that's it. Like for me, um, you want someone who's going to take the piss and, and yeah. have a laugh. And, yeah. and so Sophie was perfect for that. No, 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 no. Hold up, hold up, hold up. I'm, uh, I'm going to pull it up quickly because <laughs> oh, I, God, I, swear, <laughs> I swear it was this one. Hold on. I've got 
here. Um, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, here you go. Jimmy, right in the middle of... <laughs> oh, no. Right in the middle what's, of... The, what's the headline of the Right article? in the middle of it's the feature me. image. The, the headline is, The Bachelorette wardrobe portrays Australian men as clueless kooks. <laughs> First, this is when I write this, 2017. Don't worry, the irony of this article appearing in our style category hasn't been lost on me. <laughs> Who, may I ask, is dressing these people... How on earth is Sophie Monk meant to take this crew of flogs seriously in <laughs> outfits that look like they were partially sourced from the local Roger David outlet and the rest straight off the movie set of The Greatest Showman? <laughs> <laughs> it's that velvet jacket, I'm telling you. Oh, my Lord. What right. colour was your velvet jacket? Oh, it was blue. It was oh, blue. I right. was in the red one. Oh, my Lord. This is funny looking back. Who's – yeah, this guy – Write down, don't even get me started on this jacket. This poor bloke's campaign was over before it even got started. <laughs> that's about Jimmy. No, no, no. That's, no, no. Oh, it's Harry. It, it's poor Harry. This guy, yeah. yeah Is this yeah, this Harry. guy? Yeah, yeah, wow. Amazing. Amazing. Well, disclaimer, we, we don't dress ourselves on that first night and that suit is not mine either. Oh, wow. This is good. This is good. All right. <laughs> well, back to the matter at hand. Um, what are, I mean- Question number one for me, what are the biggest mistakes you see young men and women around Australia kind of making in their, in their early, early 20s, early 30s? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah I, look, I'd say the, the, the biggest thing is like your mindset around it. Like everyone wants to be a millionaire. It's the long-term overnight. thinking. Yeah. Right, yeah. So the biggest sort of um, tip I could give you is just patience and time. And, you know, there's so many one-on-ones you can do. But literally, like, you know, compound interest is, mm. is the biggest key. Didn't Warren Buffett say it's the eighth wonder of the world? Well, he stole it from Einstein. and um, Einstein, that, yeah. That's it, yeah. Also, and, I mean, uh, that compound interest point is the most interesting thing in Barefoot Investor as well. Like, that's the one takeaway I took from that book as yeah. well. So if you just started with something, put in five bucks a day, uh, like a price of a coffee. And yeah, then, in a Vanguard account or something or even just a, a high interest savings account yeah and if you if you could not not high interest savings um and and that's another one i'll tell tell you about in a minute but yeah if you, if you left that for 50 years didn't touch it kept putting in your five bucks a day um i just chucked it in a calculator here um and that that's over two mil like, <laughs> holy shit so <laughs> like you don't realize that um you know like i've got a little thing here i put it in a government calculator just to show you but like basically, if you put in started with five hundred bucks, five dollars a day, um, you know, basically you've only put in ninety k over yeah. fifty years, um, but you've ended it's up accumulated with, to so you yeah, earned like over, one point, 1. 1. nine in interest basically over fifty years. Yeah, so over that, two million dollars. Yeah, and wow. that's compound interest. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so that's like a really basic yeah. example at like five percent or something. Um, I, I chucked in ten because you know, like fifty years. If if you've invested in a good fund, yeah, um, you know, and and you kind of average around that. But even if you drop it to five, um, yeah. But but it's just more still like, a million bucks, isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that the rate you think people should be aiming to achieve? Ten percent a year? No. So the rate just it's it's all depending on um, time. So objectives. So you should kind of align your time frame with a realistic number or return. So, um, you know, essentially if you want something for the next sort of six or 12 months to two years, you really should just expect to get a cash rate, which is sort of like 2%, you know. If you, you can invest it and get 
better returns. Yeah. But the risk is that your money isn't going to be there when you need it. As so in illiquid the, the, the capital values yeah. lower. Kind of um, like selling a house in a down market. You know, no one wants to do that. No. Yeah. And it kind of goes out from there. Or so selling in a bear market, you know, yeah. the bottom of a... So, so it's like what your risk profile is and, and that's really the time frame for your investment. So if you're seven plus 10 years, then, you know, around about that sort of 10% average, um, you know, long term, long, long term, but you've just got to leave it and not Set and forget. It. Yeah. yeah. Not we had an interesting um, chat as well about property because I know a lot of people instantly think, right, property, straight into it. Where should I buy? Brisbane wherever it might be, you had a bit of a rogue sort of suggestion uh, over beers that time. I was talking about NZ, wasn't I? You were, Queenstown, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I was. And, and and so this isn't financial advice. This hey, we, is love, we love Queenstown. <laughs> love Queenstown. <laughs> I know. I mean, I love snowboarding and, and outdoors too. So, um, But yeah, we, we, like we're just talking about it. And like I was over there a couple of seasons ago um, and um, yeah, with the tourism guys. And one of the people there was telling me how her and her partner got started. Um, they got into a new house. They sectioned off one area of the house. They put it on Airbnb. And they were getting about 50, 60K a year in, in, um, income. You know, in income from yeah. Airbnb rentals. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, you know, like winter, snow, like, you know, of course you're going to get a lot of interest. And she goes, no, 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 summer is twice as busy. Summer is. And so it's kind of like a year year round, uh, you know, um, kind of income. And most of the holiday rentals in Oz, um, they kind of only really do six months of... um, Yeah, season kind of thing. Yeah, over summer. So, um, and and she said that that's paying their mortgage. Wow. So, yeah, that's not financial advice, but I was like, that's a cool place <laughs> it's very to cool. look yeah. into. Yeah. yeah, and it's handy to have a pad in Queenstown too if you ever want to skip over there with the boys. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> but back to uh, the investing chat. Okay, so say you came into a little bit of money. Yep, you put some money aside, 50 grand, say. What would you – how would you go about investing that? Um, you did talk about monopoly money briefly as well in our chat before – What's the strategy there? What's what's the long term? Like you said, it's a bit of a slow burn, isn't it? Yeah. So rewinding, you know, you said about houses and, and I looked at some stats. So in, in 1950, um, the, the average house price was one and a half times your income. Wow. <laughs> in 1975, um, you know, the average house price was 4% of your income. And in 2016, it's now 12 times your income. So a lot of people- I reckon that's conservative. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's sort of average. So, I mean, I don't know where yeah, they It's like 70 grand, then a million bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, you look in like, Sydney, yeah. you know, a mill for a two-bedroom apartment, you go regional and, you know, um, half a mill's like a four or five-bedroom house with um, a yard, you know. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, but um, so a lot of people feel overwhelmed about getting in um, and there's different ways you can go about getting into it. So if you've got, you know, spare 50K, you've got to go, well, what do you want with that? Like, what are you, what's your intention? Do you want to get a house and what's your time frame? And so you sort of got to work it back as time and how long you can leave that invested for. It is worth getting advice. And why I say that is that if you get the foundations right and you get a roadmap, then you can kind of follow that and implement that yourself um, until you need ongoing advice. But, you know, with our mate, 
you know, I was laughing because, you know, he, he sort of had said that he'd put it into, um, you know, different ETFs and stuff. And, and I was like, oh, you know, like I knew what the market's done for the last 12 months. And I said, oh, it shouldn't have been that bad. And I knew, I knew he had specs in there. And, um, you know, we started laughing and I, I made him When you say specs, it. do you mean speculative yep. investments? Yep, yeah, yeah. And this is where a lot of people get unstuck as well. So talking about eggs in one basket and diversifying, like if you hear an Uber driver or a taxi telling you about this hot investment, get it's, out. Get, yeah, yeah, it's too late. So you know that barbecue chat about some hot tip, everyone's got a mining stock or this and it's going to blow up. And that's where I was talking about monopoly money. So if you've got 50K and you want it to be a sure thing, you want to be invested in something that is going to be there for the future. A lot of those specy stuff, I mean, sure, like one in a million might blow up and yeah. it's fun to have a dabble. So maybe like 5% of your portfolio or something? Yeah, so I'm not going to recommend any like kind of percentages, but I've got clients like that as well. And I say, look, let me manage the majority of your portfolio yeah. and we know that it's – and we laugh about it. And, sure. and, 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 you know, their partner laughs as well. And I said, you, you play with this. Have the like, play money. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So – and a lot of those are about, yeah, 5 to 10% of their portfolio. Okay. And, and I said, look, here, you, you dabble, you play around with those, have fun. And that's the thing. Like if a couple of those pay off, you know, you're in – you could be in the big bucks. But a lot of the time they don't and they drag the portfolio down. And that's sort of what happened to our mate. You know, his thing was sort of going backwards um, and that's what was dragging it down. So you see that a lot of the time. Is this because of this like millionaire mentality? Like obviously, you know, we saw, quick yeah, we saw the yeah. crypto stuff absolutely go nuts. Is it like, you know, people are there going, well, I don't want to play the long game. I just want to be a millionaire straight away. And that's why they're doing it. Yeah. So media hype, bubble hype, like all that sort of stuff. Um, everyone's got a success story. So you hear about someone that, yeah. um, you know, jumped into Bitcoin or jumped into sort of, you know, a Google or Facebook or, or whatever, yeah, yeah. Like it, and, it's easy and, to get caught up in it, isn't it? Yeah. But like you said, if you're hearing about it, it's too late. Exactly. And do you really want to sort of like gamble with all of your, you know, income and money on that one thing with the hope that it's going to kind of pay off? So that's why I sort of think, look, if, you know, you've got 50K, something like that, and it is for the long term, you know, you want to kind of make sure that it's set up in the right investment for you. Um, you understand how that's going to work and you're patient and you give it time. Perfect. Well, interestingly enough, one of our biggest and most successful piece of content this week has actually been uh, a little piece we did about Shaquille O'Neal, the yeah. M- former NBA basketball player, and breaking down his uh, net worth, which is I think close to like 400 million, million US, US yeah. dollars, something stupid, and he's invested in 150 different restaurant chains, Google, like the works. But actually, Google um, it was a funny story. He somehow got into it pre-IPO before it went public through a chance encounter at a Los Angeles hotel, which I think Jack read yeah. the full story about. He was at. He was on Ellen a few years ago and telling this story and he was um, at the Four Seasons LA and he was looking after some random bloke's kids in the lobby and the guy comes up and he's like, man, you seem like a cool dude. I'm going to give you an opportunity of a lifetime. I'm like, I'm doing the uh, the IPO or pre-IPO on, on this company called Google. Like one day in the future, you'll be able to tap some buttons on your phone and find whatever you want. Track's like, all right, I'm in. Ended up cashing out at like a 20 or 30x 
couple of years down the track post IPO. So, I mean, those kind of investments don't come along or aren't you know available for everyone. But again, they're probably part of your speculative investment pool, I would imagine. Not not necessarily. So a lot of the specy stuff, um, you know, is already available on market. And there's a lot of IPOs. You see IPOs with coins, like, and a lot of people doing yeah, um, ICOs. Yeah, ICOs yeah. with coins. With a lot of those deals, um, I do see and and hear of things like that. And it's kind of private equity kind of deals, yeah. like pre an IPO float or something like that. Where um, and, and generally, people that have money are kind of being you know chased for things like that so it's sort of the circles that you're in or the contacts that you know and then you know there's there's a lot of people all the time looking for for funding for businesses private equity um even we see a lot of private lending so um you know individual or business to individual like um, pay to pay or b to b or yeah yeah so and and so we've seen a lot of those deals uh and you know some of our clients getting into some of those as well and with that kind of stuff, I think it's more, you know, based off, you know, you get something across your desk or, or offered like, you know, Shaq got and then, yeah, you just kind of like go through it and, and you know, you listen to the business, um, you know, you get to understand. Do your own research. Yeah, yeah. do your research and then make a call. Um, but I think I read a bit about that article and, you know, he's really smart in terms of, um, you know, one of the, bi- the, the biggest things that I pick out of that is diversifying. Yeah. So, you know, again, he's not like just put everything into one kind of investment. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or industry. He's completely spread across all kinds he's of got fast food. He's got sporting franchises. Yeah. What else did he have, John? Ah, uh, the works. Real estate was a big one as well. And, uh, you know, including all his brand endorsements and, and everything. He's got his face on just about everything. I think he has his face on uh, ca- um, Carnival Cruises, the cruise line, the global cruise line. And there's a funny funny video of him with like a captain's hat on like <laughs> inside this like you know steering wheel saying like i'm the cfo like the chief of fun off chief fun officer <laughs> or something like that like, i mean he's, he's having a good time i'm not sure if you saw the video on the weekend of him at tomorrowland mm. in the mosh pit nah. to like kill the noise really? shirt off like in the middle of the mosh pit amazing just smashing people as they came into the mosh pit so he's you know he's sitting on a healthy 400 million but still having a good time yeah so um yeah the thing i got out of that is diversifying and um, you know, some of those fast food businesses um, like the McDonald's or, you know, those ones here, they're, they're million dollar, like multi-million dollar businesses. Yeah, yeah. alone, a standalone restaurants. Um, so if you're not a shack and you don't have a face <laughs> that you can put on stuff, when we talk and we've just spoken about at the start, we talk about these funds, like what are they? Like, you know, like which ones are they? All, you know, like In I'm- Index funds, you mean? Yeah, correct. Well, I mean, like what, you know, what can you- Without obviously yeah. giving people financial advice, like um, that, um, yeah. What you know? What what, what are they? Uh, so basically, you know, back to the example with our mate. So he did a couple of things right. He had a couple of funds in there uh, that were diversified. So you know, unless you sort of know what you're doing, um, you know, it's sort of handy to have a fund manager do it for you. So what I mean by that is. You know, if you go into like a managed fund um, or an ETF, uh, which is sort of a low cost, um, you know, but if you go into instead of single assets and, and, you know, you can go into just sort of a fund and it's good with a lower balance to do that too. And it, it gets you quite a broad 
spread of stocks and assets and and companies and funds within um, that particular investment. Uh, where he kind of had come unstuck is then he's gone out and gone, oh, I'll go straight into this company and this yeah. company and this company. So on one hand, you've got the diversification piece, which is sort of what Shaq's done with, but he's gone, you know, business and property and, and all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, he's just sort of gone direct too. Then the other point of that was sort of active versus passive. So index just tracks the market index and and that's all it it, it does so if the asx 200 is going up you're going, going up, up. Yep. you're essentially buckled into a roller coaster and you're in for the ride and if you're going up you're going up if you're going down you're going down and you're holding the basket of the stocks of that particular fund so if so it's like it's diversifying just made easy basically yeah if it's index and and the, the benefit of them is that they're low cost uh, and you know, but then other theory is that active will outperform an index and yep. and you know do things that the the index won't. So there's sort of kind of two camps of of um, and everyone thinks they're right. Yeah, yeah. But there's a risk associated with more active. Uh, so actives generally got high fees. Yeah, and so the the the, the index camp saying. The active guys haven't always outperformed the index and you're paying more fees. Um, but then there's cases where the active have outperformed the index um, and also prevented some downturn um, and, you know, got more kind of um, sort of gains as well. So, so when, when you say active, do you mean like the, the 2 and 20 guys? Um, so active management versus index management. Yeah. So the active guys are just sort of... Constantly trading. Yeah, well, they'll make changes and, and actively look at kind of enhancing and opportunities and, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and index just you know will we'll track the index and what ha- like how does the how does the return differ from like a percentage? Do they do they differ a lot? Um, so look, every on average, I mean, you know, yeah. So re- returns are really linked to risk profile. So like back to that 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 thing, and and then risk profiles linked to how you you feel. But also your time. So if you said your to stage me, in life, yeah, yeah. And, and also what you want with the investment. So if you said, "Here's fifty grand, uh, I want to maximize my returns in the next year," then you know you're kind of limited to. I mean, you can take a punt and chuck it in something, and and you know look for a better return, or you can, um, you know, tuck it in cash at the bank, but. What I was saying before about uh, the bank rates is that I think some of the TDs and and even kind of high interest savers they've got a bit of a cap on them, um, but yeah, they're barely in line with inflation. Yeah. So if you sort of sit in, you're, cash, actually, you're actually losing money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you need the funds in six months, a year, two years, three years, and you actually physically want them there, it takes you, the risk away. You yeah. know, if you all of a sudden encounter a a market correction or something, you might lose 10%. Yeah, exactly. If, you're in, the, if you're in market. Then, yeah, because yeah. in, in the GFC, like, you know, we saw, um, you know, some funds going down 45 50%, um, share markets, um, you know, listed property, infrastructure, everything kind of down. But it's just a matter of then waiting, um, you know, for that to recover too. Let's move on to or go back to the buying a house thing, the great Australian dream. <laughs> what are some 
things people need to know about buying their first first home? Uh, I think I think kind of knowing your knowing what you want, knowing your sort of um, budget, maybe not overstretching too. We're in kind of we've never had the lowest interest rates that we've got right now. Yeah. And so Westpac said they're going to go to half a percent. Yeah, are they going to go? Are they? <laughs> how low are they going to go? A lot of that's linked to you know um, sort of wages not 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 rising yeah. and unemployment growth, unemployment growth going up, and uh, you know needing to stimulate the economy. But with the the low interest rates, um, you know, lending started to free up a bit more. So I don't know about. Know, a year or two ago, um, you know, investor lending sort of really sort of yeah got you know, squeezed. Yeah, um, but what you've got to know is that if you're going to buy a house and and you sort of factor it in, I mean, when you apply for a loan, they 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 put in a, a buffer anyway. So if rates went up a percentage or two, you know that they'd know you could afford to to repay it. Yeah. So you just want to know, you know, what that looks like. Uh, I think if you're going for auctions and things, um, you know the the price can can go kind of way over yeah. in some cases as well. Really know your limit. Yeah. yeah, and also you don't necessarily have to start out big. So what I mean is, you know, in Sydney, we're talking about yeah, apartment, a mill. Um, you know, if you wanted to start small, you could look at you know, potentially investment property somewhere. In a regional centre or something, so like a Ballarat or Geelong. I'm from Melbourne, so I know – or Tasmania or – Yeah, you know. but but whatever you do, you know, get advice and know your market too. And, yeah. um, you know, that, that could be a way of building up equity in an investment and getting going. Um, but, you know, in, in sort of a smaller way than going all out with a big kind of Sydney mortgage. And shop around for a mortgage rather yeah. than kind of going to your, your savings bank. Yeah, so um, mortgage brokers can get you a good kind of spread of what's available. Yep. So I'd always recommend getting advice and, and talking to, you know, mortgage brokers. Banks as well, it's just that I've heard stories of people going in there and they're like, oh, you've been with us for, you know, 20, 30 years. We'll give you the best rate available. Yeah, yeah. And they, they kind of walk away thinking, yeah, cool, no worries. I got sorted. Yeah, like used car salesman kind of tactics. Pretty much. Yeah. And then they're talking to, you know, mortgage broker later and he's like, what? Um, mate, you know, you know, I could do this and this and this. And so, yeah, I think it's just sort of do a bit of research around that. Take your time. Yeah, take your time. Yeah, trying to get stitched up. Well, interestingly, James wrote an interesting piece earlier in the week um, about the most Overhyped watches on the market today, and how <laughs> I read that yesterday. Did you? Did you? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody said, somebody was like, "Ah, oh, there's no Omega and no Tag here." Like, you know, it's there's only. <laughs> well, yeah. What do you? What do you? What have you got on the wrist? I got a tag. It was yeah, a gift. Yeah, a gift. A gift. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah, it was a gift. It was nice. <laughs> um, yeah. Sorry, John. I've just no. Uh, that's why I was just going to say that it's a bit of a unique investment piece because you got into watches back in the day when you were in your teens, and you got into watches because because of passion, and then now you're seeing some of the most bulk standard Rolexes on the market. I had a question. So when I was reading it and it said the recommended retail yeah. and then had the actual price, yeah. is that because the watches were um, sort of limited in time Well, and now they've gone up in value? What's happened now is that, um, look, back in the day when I started to get into watches, um, I was doing work experience at, a, uh, at an advertising agency and I, 
the designer Jason got me into it. Um, he was an old, he was ten years older than me, and um, he was wearing a different Rolex every day, and that's because he loved Rolex and he had a passion for it, and he had a passion for vintage Rolex, and that's what those guys used to do. You know, people used to be like, I love the intricacies of Rolex. You know, that was what the brand meant to so many people. Um, now it's become a commodity, you know, and what I was saying with RRP and then, you know, like real life price at the moment is there's no supply. Everybody in the world wants the same steel sports watches from Rolex. So because there's no supply, what is out there, people are happy to pay lots and lots of money for. It's basic economics, supply and demand. A hundred percent, but nobody knows what is going on with the supply. Rolex make like the most watches out of any Swiss company, you know, obviously not like a Tiso or whatever, but, you know, they make a lot of mon- a lot of watches a year. And, you know, people are like, what's going on? Where's the supply? Is it getting choked by Rolex? Where are all these watches going? The most interesting thing about it is that people are so desperate to acquire these watches, but everybody has one. You just, mm-hmm. you walk down Martin Place, you go into an office any suit office and every bloke in there has a no date sub, a sub, a Hulk, a GMT, another sub, you know, it is crazy. So there's, it's quite an anomaly because it's, it's a brand that is so widely worn and so desperately, you know, needed coveted, but, but it still has such a, you know, it's still held on such a pedestal and that's, yeah, a, a few of the, a few of the models, have obviously gone up sort of incrementally, you know, and I was just having a chat with my buddy in Hong Kong who bought a Batman years ago, got it in Hong Kong and bought it for 11,000 AUD, you know, and that now is crazy. He's sitting, you know, he could sell it today for 22 grand. Um, some of them have gone up crazy. more and more, yeah. but um, now what, the, the reason I, I don't dislike AP, Rolex or Patek, in fact, I like them all, what I'm what I'm disappointed about is just where, where it's got to that now the people who are really into it, who were really into it before now are like, well, I paid retail for, you know, my last Rolex. I'm, I'm not prepared to pay any more for it. And, you know, these things that, you know, were passion projects before, you know, products that people consumed because they wanted to, and now being, you know, hunted out by people who Commoditized are for, just, for who, yeah, who are just literally getting them and the next day going, putting them straight into a grey market. And we've got a, you know, we've got a thriving grey market here in Australia and just going, right, you know, this is it for the highest bidder and, and people are paying for it, which is crazy. For those who sisters will um, watchmakers in Switzerland, it sounds like we should have stayed in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for those who haven't read the article, what kind of examples were you, were you giving? Um, look, I think the biggest one, Obviously, I mentioned the Batman, uh, which is the the black and uh, blue bezel GMT, the the Hulk, which is the green Submariner. But uh, the biggest one at Rolex at the moment, well, outside of the Pepsi GMT on the Jubilee strap, which was released at Basel last year, which when launched was like I saw one on Rolex forums for 43,000 Australian dollars. Like this is a watch that cost 12 grand, you know, like for Pete. You, you, I mean, you've got to have rocks in your head. Anyway, um, they were selling. They've sort of come back to a high 20s now, like 28. But the um, ceramic Daytona is the big one. Um, you know, people are paying 37 instead of 16 
and have been for all year. It's crazy. I had an AP in there. The AP stuff's got a little bit more, um, a little bit pricier. And then that Patek 5711 Nautilus, which is, there's legitimately one listed on Facebook Marketplace for $128,000. This is a watch that costs, yeah, this is a watch that costs 39 grand, you know, and like people are that desperate to have this watch. That, you know, you can buy so many incredible watches, not to mention make a lot of money on a in serious investment that is going to be around for a long time. Like, it's crazy to consider. Yeah, buy a $28,000 watch, give the other 100 grand to Jimmy. And you'll <laughs> yeah, <work> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think with a, a lot of that stuff, like I'd, I'd seen it in, in time and, and also work, um, you know, closely with someone who's into Ferraris as well. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of that stuff is a passion play. And probably what you've got to keep in mind as well is that, if the a lot of the people that are doing that in terms of a proportion of their wealth it it for for someone who's just starting out and and looking at buying a house and getting involved you know that can seem like a lot of money um and, and especially to have like a watch collection car collection things like that but for for people who have kind of come from family wealth or you know, been really successful in business or investing and, you know, they've got a big portfolio like Shaquille, um, you know, when you look at, you know, their car collection, it's still a tiny, tiny percentage of their wealth. And if you kind of put it in perspective, then, you know, I think... It was diversification again. Yeah, well, yeah. like, you know, sort of one of those watches could be 100% of someone's investment and then, you know, back to, is that a good idea? Well, you know... Like you said, it's just how much someone's willing to pay for it. You, you don't know. Yeah. Well, we literally were talking about getting my tax return the other day. I said to Jack, I'm getting a new watch. He's like, <laughs> you, you have so much better things to spend your money on. Yeah. But And that's what I'm saying now. It's just like there's this such desperate need to have these these material goods. At the end of the day, it's just a watch. Like – you know, there are, there are better things to spend, you know. Which your phone tells you the time. I mean. Well, yeah, I mean, there are better things to spend your money on. But, I mean, one of the points I made was, you know, while this brand, brand is very overhyped, let's see a bit of diversification. Let's see a bit of originality in, like, what people are buying. Like, I, I feel like Australian blokes are just like... Can I can I throw a curveball in here? In. Sure. So, I've got a watch and it's not a digital tracker. It's it's an original watch. Um, you know, it's I love it. It's awesome. And then we started getting into training. Is it a Tag Heuer Carrera? It, I don't Maybe? know. I don't know. It, oh, it's the, the Dive Master. Is it? Yeah. Um, PVD. Anyway, sorry. No, yeah. I digress. No, no. So, um, yeah, like it's awesome. I, you know, I don't have to take it off, you know, in the water and everything like that. But one of the gripes for me was that, you know, I've, on my other hand, I've got this Fitbit activity tracker. And yeah. so now I'm just wearing both. I... I got a Garmin Instinct that I run in. It's the lightest, most beautiful thing. It's the most comfortable watch I've ever worn. And I, I'm never putting my sin on anymore. And now I've actively get up in the morning. I'm like, put the sin on. You bought it. It costs a lot. Put it on. But I wear my Garmin all the time. So I, is that- I just came back from a Huawei watch launch and they've, I'm wearing one on my wrist that I picked up an hour ago. And I am not sure about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not, not sure about it. It's just, it's just smartwatches in general. I didn't scare think me that for they no- work in Australia. They, they <laughs> <laughs> Good chat. <laughs> no, no. But no, I, what I was going down that path was, you know, is that a potential risk for the investment? So if you're sort of thinking about the value of these watches, yeah. you know, are you going to sort of see like, you know, people kind of, you know, hanging on to history and the beautiful craftsmanship or go digital? Well, people apparently um, 
Apple watches now outsell the whole of the Swiss watch industry. That's insane. In terms of annual revenue. So look, a hundred percent on, on sales now, like once upon a time, if you asked me 10 years ago, what watch can I make money on? The only brand I would have said was Rolex, which, which is interesting now that people are making actual serious money. And I'm talking about, you know, guys buying 6263 Daytonas and, you know, interesting sea dwellers and stuff, um, you know. So I think now that people are making lots of money off brand new Rolexes is, I mean, I guess that's where it was going to go. But um, look, I think that on your point, like, no, I look, because, they, because they're a luxury item and they are, um, you know, they still are beautifully, beautiful handmade things that, you know, represent, you know, image... And, the only know, piece of jewellery a man can really yeah, wear. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think digital will beat it out in a val in a you know in a future um, investment thing or a future value thing. But certainly, like, I am less inclined to go out and spend a lot more money now, seeing as that I wear my Garmin a lot more. So you know, like, that's I'm less interested in watches today than I was you know five years ago. Speaking of watches and and Rolex. Rolex Rolex is a big sponsor of Formula One and we ran some branded content on site during the week for the Singapore Grand Prix night race. Got it hammered, didn't it? It did. It absolutely hunted. Yeah, didn't it? That's probably got to be the best performing piece of paid content we've ever done. And it's not really ever appealed to me that much, but after reading the article that um, I think Gary wrote, I want to go. Yeah, it's, it's a really good race. That Swedish House Mafia, Red Hot Chili Peppers... Muse, Fat Boy Slim. Boy. Like it's a fe- effectively like a festival lineup inside an F1 track yeah, while a night race is going on. Like it sounds like the best weekend you and could And the hospitality op- offerings are insane, like oh, expensive but insane. And Singapore has some of the best food and drink in the world, just generally off track. I mean, that or Monaco, what do you reckon? Well, I mean, if you're on a boat in Monaco, I don't think that's topped, is it? Yeah, different experience, I think. Yeah, it's look- glitz and glam versus like actual fun, I reckon. I've mm. I've sat I've done like sat in the course at Singapore, but also the um the Swiss Hotel, which looks straight over the track, that's hot property over that weekend, and you can go and stand on the veranda, and it's a really really. I think you're, you're going, aren't you? Yeah, I'm going to do that exact thing. Um, Surely, these hotels they they book out like a year in advance. Yeah, though. and it's a huge premium for the those those rooms on that side that look down a, over the track. Have you ever been to F1, Jimmy? Never, no, no, never, not even Albert Park. Not now, but Park. Closest I got was um, at Goldie in a mate's uh, house. The Indies? <laughs> the Indie, indie <laughs> days, which is um, a far far cry from Singapore and Monaco. So, yeah. If oh, you've never been to a Grand Prix race before, I'd, I'd highly recommend it. it it's a travelling circus. I mean, it's like the biggest show in the world. Being and there they, is ten times better than watching it on any television you could have watched it on, I think. Well... I don't know, the KO offering's pretty good these days. <laughs> it <laughs> is. Split screen KO. You see like so four good. screens at a time. Yeah, I mean, being able bad. to select the different screens is really cool. We've had our um, our fair share of cars the last couple of days, haven't we, James? Yeah, we have. Um, I was just thinking about that when we were talking about investment before. I was just out at, John and I filmed a, a new lunch run video concept we're doing with the Aston Martin DB11 uh, Volante, which is a twin turbo 375 kilowatt convertible. Half a million um, bucks. Half a million bucks worth. And I was in there and we, I actually just posted a, a IGTV story and um, that car was one of 25 that was purchased 
you know, announced in 2016, built in 2017, a continuation DB4 GT. That was landed here in Australia. Only one delivered to Southern Hemisphere for $6.5 million. And I said to, I said to um, the guy at um, Aston, I said, what do you reckon it'll be worth in 10 years? You know, that, and that was the first thing that I thought of straight from an investment point of view. This car will never get driven. It's the only one in the Southern Hemisphere. You know, what is it going to be worth? Because the car market has just gone so bonkers um, in the last, you know, in the last five years. 1.5 million pounds it was yeah, valued. Yeah, his was, it was optioned was a little bit more. So it was, yeah. Race okay, spec, so, yeah, so, race so say, say it was two and he's paying 6.5 million Aussie here. Yeah, I mean, the Aussie dollar is pretty bad. Yeah, it is pretty bad, but still, bit like, important it's still like 3.7 million quid yeah. or something. It's a fair amount of cash. And what, what did he say 10 years later? Well, he just laughed. He said, oh, yeah, he's like, oh, who's yeah, who, who knows? Like, it's the only one. It's the only one in the Southern Hemisphere. He's like, somebody will, you know, somebody will pay huge cash for it. Um, but yeah, I thought that was that was the first thing I thought of when we started talking about diversifying assets. <laughs> but I mean, you've got to be a really rich guy to buy a six and a half million dollar car. Yeah, you don't need uh, you don't need cash quick if you're uh, if you're chucking that much money down on it. But funnily enough, car. he probably still has a f- team of financial advisors. Yeah, you know, guiding his every. 100%. every step. He's also got a Zagato shooting brake, apparently, which is the only one of those in the Southern Hemisphere as well. He sounds, like he sounds really poor. Yeah, he sounds <laughs> poor. like he's in a bad but spot. Jaguar have also started doing continuation yeah. cars as well. There's a, there was an awesome piece on um, one of the early Grand Tour episodes where Clarkson and, and Hammond had a Jag, I think it was a D-Type, and one of the old DB5s, and they were um, racing through the south of France somewhere, and it was one of the best drive pieces of driving television I think I've ever seen. And funnily enough, I was actually in um, – I was at Eastern Creek this morning out with Jaguar and some of the stuff they're doing over there. And you've actually been to their classic. Yeah. And I was having a chat with a customer who had, who was in the Aston Martin store, who was currently doing an E-type project. And I actually showed him the photos I took and posted on Versatile Gent from last year at JLR continuation models as well. Um, You know, and they're, they're making a serious business out of it. David Gandhi just got his, um, his Jag XK 120, I think it is. Completely refurbished at JLR Classic Works. Um, you know, it's yeah, it's obviously a, it's obviously a, a serious opportunity for these brands, and also they can control you know the the restored output, which is which is lovely. But you were driving not XK one twenties and stuff this morning, were no, you? What I wasn't. were you driving? No, I don't think there was anything there manufactured before February of this year. Um, <laughs> it was all the brand new um, shit hot stuff coming out of the UK at the moment. We had a Squad of four cars, um, the V8 F-Type, which I hadn't actually driven before. I'd driven the SVR V8, but I hadn't driven the standard V8. Uh, there was an XJR, which is essentially like a limo, but specced out with a five-litre V8, quad tailpipes. Like, I used to think the old XJ was such a hot Yeah, I did car. as well. It still is a hot And yeah. the, the colour they had this one in at the track was phenomenal. Uh, the I-Pace, which I drove in Portugal last year, the new electric performance SUV from Jag, and then also the... Jaguar, the one, the one we want to hear about. Yeah, the Jaguar XE Project 8, yeah. which is the one we drove today was the one of one in the Southern Hemisphere at the moment. There's only one. It's in this bright, hot orange colorway. It's a Jaguar XE, but apparently like on the outside it looks like an XE, but on the inside it's only it's 75%, at least three quarters of the car is completely brand new. They've ripped out the old car and put in this absolute weapon and it is one feisty, feisty piece of kit and 
I was struggling to tame it with my very, very mediocre driving skills around Eastern Creek. And then we got into, um, got into a hot lap with one of their V8 supercar guys. And even he was like, man, this thing is unhinged. What are they, uh, what are they worth? Surprisingly, I was really surprised. Not that much. You can get one for, I think it was 330 oh, with yeah. four seats in it. It's a four-door four door saloon, four-door four sedan. Or you can get one with two seats in it, half a cage in the back and the five-point harnesses with the bucket seats, and that one's 350 Are they not sold out already? Because they're, they're not. So there's yeah. only 300 made in the world and or 300 going to be commissioned. And uh, you can still buy them here if you have a lazy 350K lying around. You can still buy one for Australia, uh, although the one we drove today was a left-hand drive, uh, so we could only drive it on the track. But it is a phenomenal, phenomenal piece of kit. And, I mean, yeah, those opportunities, I'll remember that one for a while. Given uh, we've got a financial advisor in front of us and we're talking about cars, my last question would be what percentage of your wealth or even annual wage should you, should you spend on a car? Great. Um, uh, it's look. Because you look, you get cars and like every car is oh, like between thirty and hundred grand. You're like, how much can I actually well, afford? I mean, look, we outside every day is an RS six. You know, like, I mean, what? Pete, yeah, that's I, it's such a good question. I, I think again, uh, what we're kind of talking about is, uh, you know, the cars you're sort of talking about are more limited edition investment pieces, where you know, with those prices that. You know, some of them go up in value, like you know the Ferrari. Is it the F forty? Yeah. Um, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So one of my dad's mates bought them. One of them is an investment. Yeah. Recently and so that's vastly different from just say your standard. You know, uh, what Toyota Camry, Nissan X Trail, yeah. like on on the road. So the the, the Let, let's separate from that, like the yeah, investment yeah. side of things. But I want to yeah. hear about like a typical like fifty grand car, which is not out of the ordinary. So so a car isn't an investment. Other than what you're talking about. Yeah. So, so just to flip it on its head, it's the only asset. Well, sorry, it's, there's a lot of assets, but they depreciate in value. Yeah. The minute that you drive them away, they depreciate in value. You're never going to get a return on it. So I guess just keep that in mind. So, you know, like I think Warren Buffett is, I heard still driving the same car that he's had for like 30, 40 years. I heard it's Rolls Royce, but it's still, you know, he's had the same car. So if you kind of think of it with that mindset, it's really about what you can afford. And, you know, it's it's sort of like wants versus need. And also how much you kind of appreciate a really nice car, I guess, as well. Yeah. So to be it. honest, like if, if I was in Sydney City and like, which I am, I've got a car, but I need it for work. But otherwise I wouldn't have a car because... I'd be saving that money, investing the money to get ahead. You know, you've got a when great you, public you, transport. When you're 60, you can go and buy yourself a super flash Aston. car if you so, yeah. so choose. And we, it, de- it depends where you live, but we, we kind of be in bubbles. So whether you're on the East Bubble, North Bubble, or, you know, if you're out West, you might need a car, um, you know, if it's more spread out. But if we're in a bubble, you know, you've got everything you kind of need within a distance and you can use the public transport. So... I wouldn't buy a car. I would be investing and saving and getting ahead until you really need one. And but if you're a business owner, it's different because you know if you're using it's a for tool business, for your work, yeah, yeah, and it, it becomes a business expense. I've got one more question just before we got to wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, but I was just going to say we just wrote an article this week. Kylian Mbappe 
400 million over five years. If you were advising Mbappe... Which, which clubs he signed to? I think to PSG, yeah. PSG. He's 20 years old now, just turned yeah. 20. French footballer. Will become the second highest paid footballer in the world if yeah. he signs this new contract and they ask Neymar and free, us, free up that cash to give to Mbappe. 400 million bucks over five years. He's 20 years old. What would you say to him? Well, I would say, no, my question is if you said, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to advise him to, to make a billion, where would you tell him to put your cash? Uh, so first thing, it's about your mindset. I would just basically say you can pay it into a trust that he can't touch yeah. until he's, you know, 35 and be invest, you know, managed professionally and give him, you know, a salary, that, a normal salary trust, out like of that 10 to live a off. Year to just to, just <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah. I was thinking a hundred K or yeah. whatever. No. So, so the thing is, um, interesting. Yeah. So with athletes and sports people, um, they have a massive spike in earnings really early. People like Shaq have done really well to because he was smart, but there's heaps of them yeah, that Alan, have Alan lost Iverson. it all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a, there, there's stuff out there on lotto winners too. So I know we're going off track, but most lotto winners lose everything. It ruins their lives within like five years because they go out and they get, they've all of a sudden got like you know um, tens of millions, and they they start doing stuff with that money like, say, giving it to someone. And everyone, buying everyone this, wants a that. piece of them too. Whereas if you pull that money into an investment, if it's in a trust or a company, and it kept investing and kept growing, you'd be able to pull an awesome income out of that from those investments and still do a lot with that rather than just chewing into the capital. So for him, I'd just sort of try and get it out of his hands. Um, I think those guys have a tendency to blow it on cars. Yeah. Uh, women, um, yeah. everything like that. Awesome. For mine, Jimmy, and thank you very much for all your uh, your advice today. The key takeout is the key takeouts: diversification and time in market, playing, and, playing the long game, and advice, and and definitely like so. None of this is personal financial advice. You got to go see a yep. advisor for that. Yeah. It's just sort of educational today. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, hundred percent. Like, get advice. It's different for every single person. So what would suit one person doesn't fit everyone. All right, that pretty much wraps it, I think, for the second episode of the BH Podcast, Friday Sharpers. Jimmy, thanks very much for joining us, mate. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, how should they, uh, how should they do that? Oh, look, maybe just drop a DM on Insta. It's probably <laughs> the easiest, to be honest. You spend a lot of time in the DMs, don't you? <laughs> what is your Insta? Uh, Jimmy's.paradise. Yeah. Jimmy's Paradise. Right. Well, We'll um, also put your uh, yeah your official professional details somewhere for you um, in the in the comments and in the description there if people want to get in touch and actually uh, flesh out some more Legend. financial advice from you. Thanks but for your time, Jimmy. Yeah, thanks for your time, man. Yeah, I enjoyed thanks that. having me, boys. On episode three of Friday Sharpeners, we've got Jeff Lack, stylist, one of the most stylish and handsome men. God, he's hot in Australia. Yeah. It's a shame he's, with the podcast really. You can't see. Yeah, I know. Well, we'll put a photo of, of yeah. him up. Um, he is honestly one of the best looking cool yeah he is well-dressed guys in australia and he's going to come in and talk to talk to us about dressing well looking good yeah, uh, a couple of key pieces you can acquire i think he's going to actually rip apart our 50 essential style tips that james you and i wrote a couple uh, of weeks ago so yeah. we're going to put that to him see what he thinks of what we've said and uh see if he can give us some uh some good chat back and maybe you might have to revise those those style tips but anyway thank you for joining us this week and we'll uh, see you very soon you <laughs> <laughs>
love it. <laughs> uh, funny.